What's up, Echo family? It's good to be together again. I want to welcome all of our campuses, those of you joining at church online. I'm so glad you're with us today. You know, there's a common Christian phrase that maybe you've heard around, you've heard someone say before, and it goes like this, God is good all the time, and all the time, all right, can we try that one more time? God is good, and all the time, I wonder if you've ever questioned that, questioned the goodness of God, Question if maybe God is not quite in every space and in every cir- circumstance, or maybe you've had that thing happen to you that you're like, I, I just don't know if God is good, how can he be in this kind of pain and situation? Like if God is good, why did that happen to me? If God is good, why won't he remove some of my suffering or the suffering in the world. I wonder if you've had these moments where you questioned it. You questioned, is, is there even a God in the midst of all of this? Could it be? If he is good, why is he not intervening in the situation in front of me? I remember when I was really young, uh, my, the first time I heard of a, a tragedy in my own uh, life or my sur- surrounding. I was just a young boy, and I had a, a friend come over to my house and told me, hey, your best friend, Ichi was his name, he died in a car accident. And I, I said, stop joking. This is not funny. And he said, no, 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 it's true. Their whole family was in a car accident, and their van flipped over, and everybody died aside from mom and sister. But your friend's dead, and so is his dad and everybody else, grandparents. And I remember thinking, how... How can this be? Like, this is, this is a great family. They were active in our church environment, and they were good people to me. And, and I, 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 saw, I saw from then on even the mom and the sister, they used to come as a huge family to church. And from that point on, they would come just mom, sister alone to church every week. And I would see the sadness and the sorrow and the grief in their eyes. And as a young boy, I, was, I would think, man, how tragic is this. Later on in life, right, the week before I got married, uh, my wife and I got other news that her best friend, her maid of honor, was in a car accident. And then two days before we got married, her best friend died. And we saw her take her last few breaths um, in that hospital room. And I remember thinking, where, like, why? Why would, she's 20-something years old. She's been married six months. Her husband was one of my best friends, and I, I felt for him. And she was a prayer warrior in our church. She loved to pray, to love people, had a bright future ahead. And I, I just wondered, like, God, wh- where are you in all this? Like, why won't you heal her? Why won't you restore? Why won't you intervene in this situation? It was so hard to understand In our many years of following Jesus, my wife and I, we've seen so much pain and trouble, probably like you. We've had miscarriages. We've had people accuse us. We've had people betray us. We've had things go wrong that we hoped would go right. And in all of that, it makes us wonder, like, why did God let it happen? If he is all-powerful, why won't God just, just come and change those circumstances. And maybe like me, you've had those moments that you just wonder, 
It might be something smaller for you. You're like, why won't God take away my migraines? Or why won't God take away my depression? Or I, I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to be good. Why is it I still, I still don't feel happy with my life? Or maybe it's like the bigger stuff. You look at the injustices of the world. There's like children right now starving in places of the world. Why would God allow that? There are little girls being human trafficked in our backyard still. Like why would God allow that? Or maybe even the news yesterday rocked you. It rocked me. Where in Israel, hundreds of people that were innocent were killed because some out of hatred decided to terrorize them. And I mean, kidnapped, killed, suffering, hundreds and then thousands are injured in Israel. It's so hard at times to reconcile the brokenness of the world, the suffering, the pain of the world with a God who is good. And before we move on, I thought we can just pray together. And maybe this is new for some people here, but I want to invite God into this space. And maybe even as we talk about this, it'll bring up some memories that will be hard for you. And we can also pray for those in Israel that are suffering right now and lost family members and are trying to look for solutions. Would you join me for a minute? Father, I want to acknowledge that there is hurt and pain and it's real, not just in our rooms and campuses, but on the other side of the world in Israel, there are so many people suffering right now. And I want to ask you that by your grace, somehow you would reveal yourself as the God that is good, that can comfort, that is powerful and strong. And that in the midst, God, of it all, that you'd show yourself to be faithful, that you would comfort those that are hurting. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why did God let it happen? It's really not a new question. For thousands of years, people have been asking this question. And even 300 years before Jesus stepped into the world, a Greek philosopher named Epicurus wrote this. He said, if God is not able to prevent evil, then he's not all-powerful. Maybe you can relate with that. If he is not willing to prevent evil, then he's not all-good. And if God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? It's a good question. Like, why does God let it happen? And if there's one thing I want to show you and reveal and maybe unpack with you today, is that pain and suffering is actually not contrary to the Bible or the God that the Bible reveals to the world. It is actually very central to that God and to the message of the Bible. In fact, Christianity, you might want to write this down, Christianity makes sense, gives hope and meaning to, and offers a solution for the pain and the suffering that we experience. Let me say it again. Christianity makes sense of, gives meaning to, and offers a solution for the pain and the evil and suffering that we experience. And I want to show you actually how in the Bible, pain, suffering, and all of this is actually interwoven and integrated into all these lives that are displayed throughout history that were recorded in these books and pages of what we consider to be a holy book. In fact, well, let me just take you back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, 
And he was known as the weeping prophet because he was constantly complaining to God about the suffering and the sin of people and the unrepentance of people to the point where there's a time that he said this, why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. He's like, hey, God, I'm, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to represent you and be your spokesman. But, but why was I even born? Like, my life is just so filled with stuff that I did not want. Then there's David. David is described as a man after the heart of God. Wrote thousands of psalms and, pro- and uh, poems that people have worshipped God with now for thousands and thousands of years. But there was a moment that David said, Oh, Lord, how long... Will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? Can you relate? Like, God, I I have all this anguish and sorrow and pain. How long do I have to deal with this, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand in my life? Like, I I am trying to follow your heart. I'm trying to be a worshiper. But God, I just feel like, like right now in this moment, I I can't understand why I'm, I'm not as close as I want to be. And in fact, it looks like those that are enemies to you, they're flourishing as my life is suffering. Then there's John the Baptist, one of the most powerful maybe examples of this. Here's the guy who came to literally prepare the way for the Messiah. He was the cousin of Jesus. He came to tell people, hey, turn from your sin. We call that repentance. Turn to God and prepare your souls because God is sending the Messiah to the earth, the one that will solve sin for all of humanity. And then in doing that, he's arrested. And he's put in jail and sentenced to death. Jesus knew about it. He knew about it. Yet, Jesus did not come to rescue him, and John ended up being beheaded. So you wonder, did he sit there in that prison cell and was like, hey, I'm I'm preparing the way for you. The least you can do, Jesus, is open the jail cell for me and not let me die. Then there's another man named Asaph. Now, he is a worship leader. He is the leader of the tabernacle choir, similar to David, wrote a bunch of psalms, about 12 psalms that are in our holy scriptures today. But he was, he was a cool person, like all worship leaders are. You know, you know, picture them in your mind here. They have the cool, you know, ripped jeans or whatever it is cool in these days. I don't know anymore. And maybe perhaps the cool tattoo right here so they hold the microphone. You can see it. And, I, you know, I thought about doing one and then looked at my skinny arms. I'm like, ah, not going to look good. Um, but he was one of those, like leader of the, the band, leader of the worship team, and devoted to seek God. And he wrote this. He said, what does God know? They ask. Does the Most High even know what is happening? Look at all these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Have you thought of this? 
Like you're, 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 you're a student and you're like, hey, I'm trying to not do the stuff that everybody else does and I'm trying to not, you know, be corrupted by whatever the world. And yeah, they seem to be having a blast and I'm here like, did I, did I keep myself pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Why? Following God. People close to God, devoted to God, in love and relationship with God, facing problems, pain, and suffering. And as we wrestle through all of these questions, I just wanted you to know I don't have clear-cut answers for all of them. In fact, I think that there are so many of these things that we won't really know in our lifetime why it happened. But I want to encourage you to approach this with me with an open heart and mind. Maybe you're here even exploring the claims of Jesus, and you're exploring, is God even good, or does God even exist in all of this? And I want to encourage you to just open your mind, because I do believe that there can be something today that God reveals to you that can shift your paradigm, that can be a beginning of a new approach to including God in your suffering, in your pain. And if you approach it with an open heart, God might just speak to you. But here's the big question. If God is loving, why would he allow suffering? Like, if God is loving, why would he allow suffering? And to answer this question, I want to just unpack another truth that helps us understand this a little bit better. And the truth is this. You might want to write this down. If love is a choice, suffering is a possibility. Just process this with me. If love is a choice, then suffering is a possibility. If it's possible to choose love, it's also possible to experience hurt and pain because the only way we can have the choice to love is to also have the choice to not love. The only way that we have the choice to love is also to have the choice to hate. And the only way that we can have the choice to choose what's right is also to have the choice to choose what is wrong. And that's what makes evil and suffering possible. The theological term for this is free will. It is the ability to choose whether we will believe and trust in God, whether we will do good things, or whether we will just ignore it and do our own thing. And the reason God made us that way is because he did not want a robot, and he did not want a rock. He wanted a relationship. And in a relationship, you must have the choice to love or not. If God removed that choice, then we would not be able to experience true love. It's just the reality of our lives. You know, one of the greatest moments of my life was when I... Uh, experience one of my own kids the, for the first time say, I love you to me. And if you have kids, you might remember this moment. I'm going to take you back to when my firstborn, uh, Lily, was a little kid. Let me show you how cute these little kids looked back then. They're still cute, just not as cute. Um, but I remember I had told her I love her. I had heard her say, I love you too, in response to me. But there was a moment I'm walking down a parking lot with her, and she grabbed my hand like this, and she looked up, and she said, Daddy, I love you. And I just remember feeling like, ah, oh, 
that's like there's something in this moment that I longed for. I didn't force her. Now I have to force my kids to love me, but before, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't force her. But you remember this. When someone displays love towards you and it's their choice, it fills you. It just reminds you there's something in this reality that I am made for. See, if you're a guy and you approach a girl and you're like, hey, guess what? From now on, you love me. She'd be like, no, you don't own me. Right? Like, you, she's not going to respond to you. Or if you're a gal and you approach somebody else, you're like, hey, guess what? You will marry me today. And you will love me forever. It's not going to work. We cannot force love to happen. For love to be real and relationship to be authentic, it has to be a personal choice. And God so longs for us to say, I love you, God, but he will not force us to do it. And because he's not a forceful God, he allows us the choice of evil. What we call this is sin. It's the ability to choose to do wrong. And when we choose sin, we choose brokenness, we choose pain, and then we live in a world that is subject to that brokenness and that pain. And no matter who you are, you can be a godly person pursuing the heart of God. You can be an evil person ignoring God. We're all subject to the consequence of a sinful world. For God to remove evil and suffering, he either has to remove our freedom or he has to remove us. And to him, that's not an option. Now, a rare question that we don't often ask, but I think is worth asking, that helps us with all of this, is if there is a God, who, or if there is no God, then who decides what is wrong and what is right? Like, if there is no God, who decides what is evil and what is good in the first place? Let me ask you this, so just so we can understand. How many of you at Echo, any of our campuses, have siblings? Can you raise your hand with me? Have siblings? Keep it high. Now, keep it, keep it high if you love your siblings. Why do I see some hands going down? <laughs> now, keep it still high if you like your siblings, because we all know you can love them but not like them. So if you don't like them, just lower your hands. Several hands going down. Okay. So, you, okay, picture with me this scenario. You might understand this. When I was 11 years old, let me just show you, by the way, uh, around the age I was in and, and show you how, how cute I looked during this age and how innocent I looked. Can we put a, a picture here on the screen of my siblings? Yeah. So this is uh, my brother, and then there's my sister, and then there is that beautiful face right here. That's me, okay? And I look really cute and innocent, right? When I was 11 years old, uh, I remember my brother and I were in such a bad fight that would happen quite often. He triggered some anger in me that was unexplainable. And I ran to the kitchen and I grabbed a knife. <laughs> and I ran toward my brother with a knife in my hand. And then he locked himself in his room. He's older than me, but that moment he realized, I don't think I'm going to be able to to calm down whatever is inside of that kid. He locked himself in the room. Nobody else was in the house but me and him. I started to kick the door open. I was enraged. I was crying with anger with a knife in my hand. And it was a pointy knife, not a butter knife. <laughs> and literally, I'm kicking the door open. The frame starts to crack. 
And as it starts to crack, the garage door opens and my parents walk in the house. They saved his life. <laughs> and I, I remember, you know, you know what happened in that moment? We both ran to them. I pleaded my case and he pleaded his case. Mom, I'm right. He is wrong. I don't even remember what we're fighting about, but I wanted to kill him that day. And I knew he was wrong. And then he's like, no, 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 he is wrong. And I'm right. Now, if there are no parents, who decides? Who decides morality if there is no authority? And if there is no God, how do we even know right or wrong? The very fact that we believe that there's pain and suffering and wrongdoing is proof that there is a creator, there is an authority, that everywhere you go in the world, there's a certain moral compass that we have built into us that just tells us this is not right or this is wrong. Sometimes we tend to believe that God is just you know, distant when we have pain. But I want to remind you that oftentimes the presence of real pain is actually the evidence of real love. That when we, we are able to experience pain, when we experience suffering, it's actually a reminder that in the universe that God created, he created the ability to love authentically. And without the ability to choose to love we also lose the ability to choose a relationship and we, choose, we lose the ability to choose anything else, including wrongdoing. And God wanted us close to him. He wanted a relationship with us. So if we're honest, we can't use the presence of evil and suffering as proof that God does not exist. It's the very thing that shows us there must be a higher authority. Well, then another question remains. Well, if you suffer, some people will say, it just means that God doesn't love you. And there are some branches of Christianity that sometimes teach this, that when you come to follow Jesus, that your pains go away, that your prosperity increases, that all of the things that happen in your life from then on, if it's bad, it's because you did something bad because God doesn't want anyone to experience any bad in this life and he'll take over and he'll protect you from all suffering. And it's a lie because all throughout history, all throughout the scriptures, you see men and women of God who faithfully served them and experienced a tremendous amount of pain. It's important to understand that suffering is not the evidence of the lack of love. And if you heard that in your life, if someone someday told you the reason that, ex- that happened to you is because God doesn't love you, I want you to know that was a lie, that God deeply loves you. And the reason you can even experience pain is a demonstration that he designed you and I and all of us with the ability to choose love. We see this actually in everyday situations. A few years ago, I had LASIK surgery. And I remember I went to the doctor and he, I believe was for me, but he came toward me with a syringe uh, toward my eyeball. And so he had a needle coming into my eyeball and I thought, no, so I, I passed out. I, I was like, I, I, I just passed out. And you might, if I ask you the question, did, did my doctor hate me? No, he didn't hate me. 
But he knew that on the other side of that discomfort, something better was coming. Something better was coming. I knew that, so I endured it. And I woke up, and I was like, all right, bring it to me. And I was able to endure the temporary pain for the greater thing that I would gain. I have a friend named Ivan who is a chiropractor, massage therapist kind of person, and maybe you've, uh, you can exp- you've experienced this before. Uh, Ivan every now and then calls me. He's like, hey, how's your back? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. So he's like, come on over. So he moved away now, but when he's in town, he still invites me to this. And it's not the kind of thing that's like, oh, I'm going to Ivan. It's not like a pleasure massage. It's like a, I'm going to hurt you massage. And when I show up to Ivan's, I'm always like a little bit sweating because I'm, I'm like, I don't know if I really want this. So when I get there, I lay down and he puts his stuff on me that starts to shock my back to release my muscle. He grabs my neck and he does these weird things and he twists my body. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going to kill me. I sometimes feel like he's going and rip my head off in that moment. But you know why he does it? It's not because he hates me. He does it because he knows something better is coming. There is hope that there's something on the other side of this pain. And it's true, when I leave Ivan's place in the moment, it doesn't feel very good, but I experience a relief from my pain. Maybe you've been a counselor before, and oftentimes what they do is they take you back to your past, to the moment of greatest pain, and they make you face it. And in that counseling office, you're crying. You're like, why are you taking me to that place? I've tried to ignore it and bury it. And they're like, no, no, let's go back right there to that moment. They don't do that because they hate you. They do it because they know that in facing that pain and the suffering, you will find healing and experience something better is coming. It's the same for when you have children. You know, parents often discipline their kids, not all of them anymore, but there is this thing called discipline that used to be part of culture and not as much anymore. But when we discipline our kids, it's not because we hate them, right? Right? (laughs) It's love. It's us allowing there to be some discomfort because we believe there's something greater that is on the other side of this. The presence of pain is not the lack of love. In fact, the presence of real pain is the evidence that there is real love in the world. God invites us into that kind of love. So then the question remains, why then do bad things happen to good people. Because we can understand, all right, there's bad people and so forth, but why, why do, do bad things still happen to good people? If God is good and he's able to do whatever he wants, why won't he just stop all the bad from happening? I wonder if you've, if you've questioned that before. And it is actually difficult to answer this question because the reality is we're not really asking that about ourselves. Think about this with me. See, the reason is this, that we understand what Scripture teaches us, that there's actually no one that is really good. We all are evil in some ways in our hearts. I mean, as an 11-year-old boy, I picked up a knife to kill my brother. And you're not, I'm not the only one that does foolish things. If you knew what goes inside of the thoughts of your pastor, you would probably all find another church. 
And then when you find out what's inside the thoughts of that pastor, you would find another church. The reality is, man, if I followed every thought and every prompting and every desire and every longing that's in my heart, my life would be destroyed. I would probably have 25 wives. I would pursue everything that would give me pleasure. And I know the world tells us this, like find your identity in the thing that you long for. I just want you to know it is a lie. If you follow your heart, your heart will lead you to deceptiveness. It will lead you to the wrong thing. Our hearts are evil inside, all of us. We all have thoughts of anger and of lust and of desire that is contrary to the ways of God. And if we follow all of that longings, it will lead to brokenness. I've done it. I've stolen. I've, I've lusted. I have made a ton of mistakes, and so have you. The Apostle Paul said it this way. We have made it clear that people everywhere, everywhere, are living under the power of sin. No one is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands the truth. No one is seeking after the one true God. All have turned away. No one does good, not even one. There's not a single one in this room, in our campuses today, at home, or on earth who is good. Only Jesus So why do bad things happen to good people? Well, truthfully, something bad only happened to one good person ever. And he chose, he volunteered for it. Bad things happen to all of us. But all of us actually deserve those bad things because of the sin that we've chosen to bring into the world. But Jesus the innocent one who never did anything wrong, took the punishment of our sins upon himself. He chose to leave the glory of heaven and come to the creation that he made that was filled with brokenness. And he left that glory, was born in human form in a little baby, grew up to live a perfect life, never sinned, never betrayed, never lied, never did anything wrong. Yet he chose, in spite of all of that, to carry our sins and our punishment and our wrongdoing upon himself. And a 2,000 years ago on a good Friday that we call, he was on a cross carrying a suffering and a pain that is unimaginable to us. In that moment, they ripped his beard off. They had striped his back. They pierced his hands. They put crowns of thorn on his flesh, all undeserving. The one who is good, who loved, who was kind, who came to display God's love to the world was on a cross for us. And that was him saying, I choose you, and I want something better for each of you. Something better was coming. On that cross, he had this moment where, as he embodied the sins of all of humanity, he experienced that which we experience with sin, which is distance from God. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The darkest moment of his life, a moment in which our darkness was on him. 
And Jesus did that for you and I. He did it because he did not want us to live with the pain and the suffering that we have on this earth for eternity. He wanted something better. The scripture that summarizes this, that maybe you've heard before, is that God expresses his love for the world in this way. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not face everlasting destruction, but will experience something better, everlasting life. So how much does he love us? He loves us that much that he took that step to suffer when it was not his time, it was not his sin that led him to that cross. It was ours. He knew, though, that sometimes to experience a, a, a resurrection, you have to first experience a death. He knew that it takes a hurt to find a healing that sometimes we have to walk through the overcoming of a loss so that we would experience a victory in him. He knew that sometimes it takes us coming out of a bondage to really find freedom. And he longed for you and I to exercise our free will to say, I will choose you. And just like my daughter that day, took my hand and looked up and said, Dad, I, I love you. And she activated her will toward me, her affection toward me, trusting. God longs for the moment that you and I invite him into our space now. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't promise it'll go away right now. He didn't promise that you won't suffer now. But he did promise that something better is coming. And in fact, in the book of Revelation, it displays that something better. And it gives us a glimpse when it says, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. There is more, no more loss no more sickness, no more shame or death or guilt or grief or abuse or crying or sleepless nights trying to figure out why God did this happen. He will then restore and he will heal and he will redeem. But we're not there yet. Right now, there is pain. But the invitation that God gives to us is the invitation to do life in relationship with him. Right there, like the psalmist did, God, I want to invite you into my pain. And as we do that, his presence, it starts to make sense of things. His presence begins to heal and to restore and to have us long for the day that it'll be complete. You remember Azef, the one who was questioning all of this? He wrote in another psalm this, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. Love his honesty. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Until I was able to be in the presence of God. 
And then he says, my flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In other words, I didn't understand it, but when I stepped into the presence of God, he became my strength right there in the middle of it. He's able to give comfort in the midst of pain. He is able to give peace in the midst of chaos. He is able to give us hope that something better is coming. Right now, you might not feel it. You might not fully understand it. But he invites us to a relationship with him where all of that messiness starts to make sense at least to the point where we can understand I'm made for this kind of love for him, a loving relationship with him. I want to invite you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that I'm going to ask our local pastors to lead us in a second prayer. But the first one is for those of you that are hurting today. And you're here and you know there's something, as I've talked about, that has been really difficult for you to process. There's a pain in the past or someone you've lost or something that's happened to you that you haven't been able to reconcile. And maybe you don't have all the answers still, but you know that God is inviting you into his presence. And I want to ask you to raise your hand if you are here and you have that kind of pain that you just have to acknowledge before God, God, I need you right now in that pain. Would you raise it high? I see many of you. Raise it high as your, your indication to God even. God, I need you in my pain. And then right there in your heart, say it to him. God, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you into that place that's tender. I'm inviting you into that loss. Meet me there, Lord. My flesh, my heart may fail me, but God, you are the portion I need. You are the strength I need. And Father, I pray for every person that is hurting here today, that your Holy Spirit would be their comfort, that you would come and draw their hearts to you, that even when they can't make sense of it, that they would say yes to the invitation to not process it alone because you love so deeply. And God, we choose to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. With the eyes closed, let's just continue in this moment of reflection. You're probably here after hearing this message. You don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you've allowed pain and suffering to get in the way, not allowing God to invite Jesus in your life, and it has always been a hurdle for you. You wanted to overcome. Maybe you've been attending church for a long time, but you've never really experienced His love. And you sense in your heart the Holy Spirit is asking you to surrender your life and to say yes to Jesus, to fill you up with His presence so that you can have a changed life. Here we believe that life with Jesus is better than life without Him. So if you sense the prompting, the Holy Spirit is asking you to raise your hand. Would you raise your hand right now if you're here right now to say yes to following Jesus? Yes, I see a hand. I see a hand. 
to invite him in your life. This is a big decision. You don't want to miss it because when he comes into your life, he changes everything. I see a few hands. Anybody else? Don't miss this moment. Yes. So we are going to say this prayer. I want you to, all of us to join in uh, to help those who have raised their hands. Let's all of us say this after me. Jesus, I invite you in my life. I choose to trust you. I turn away from my sins. I come to you. I surrender all things. I choose to trust you in spite of my questions and my doubts. Today, I invite you in my life. Thank you for loving me. In your name I pray.